The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the available lines ahead of the college basketball tournament on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsibility responsible gaming resources. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 182, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine Year Streak, without a bad day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben. How you doing, brother? You look uh, you look a little tired. You look a little tired. You get some sleep? I got a lot of sleep <laughs> last night and the nights previous. I had not. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's the end of draft weekend. You know, the war of attrition is over, but the uh, the injuries are still being healed. So, yeah, it's I'm ready. You know, I'm going to take a walk today. I'm going to look at a leaf, hear a bird. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> um, it, it was good. It was a good draft weekend. It was a profitable draft weekend. It was a active day three. Uh, for the Eagles as well, which was a lot of fun. We weren't sitting through two rounds of nothingness waiting for some seventh round pick. They were moving around and they were adding and, and, and getting a lot of players in. So, yeah, no, I'm good. I've just got three questions, Mike. Yeah. Can he run? Is he healthy? Does he like to play football? That's all I want to know. Did you just see people in the mentions like actually pissed off that the Eagles are targeting fast, right. healthy, well, high my, character my guys? My favorite thing <laughs> is, is like I, I saw a couple of responses that were like, and they didn't look at anything else. Right. And I wanted to be like, come yeah. on. <laughs> Yeah, they were just like, all right, fast, no injuries, whatever. And also, it was funny because, like, you know, not for nothing, Marquise Goodwin's a little banged up, guys. Right. Um, yeah. You know, but, like, I think exchanging sixth-round picks for a guy who has been in the league, is, is it makes a lot of sense. My, my favorite thing about can he run, is he healthy, does he love football? Firstly... I walked into his office and written on a piece of paper, like, okay, shut up. You know what I mean? It's so dramatic. Yeah, it's it's too much. Number one. And number two, I love how they, like, are telling us this now as if we're all going to be like, oh. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. You want to know why that was your idea? Because you didn't have any fast guys last year. Want to know who told you that? us <laughs> like and nope. obviously like you know they knew it too and like it's 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 reprioritizing and like this is the single we've we've been covering draft classes for philadelphia now you and i this is our third one no fourth one 2017 2018 2019 and this one yeah right because we started with Derek barnett right this is by far the most athletic class they've ever drafted by oh, a mile by a ton um and i think if you even go back probably later this is a ridiculously athletic class for them yeah, they bet on athletes. Yeah. Do you want to kind of go through the picks and we'll kind of go from sure. there? All right. Yeah, let's do it. 
yeah, we'll recap the picks. Since this is going to be like a draft recap, we'll, we'll go through and then we'll start to talk about them. But first round at 21st overall, Jalen Rager, wide receiver TCU. We all know this. Round two, pick 53, Jalen Hurts, quarterback Oklahoma. Round three, number what? 103, Tavion, take <laughs> Tavion Taylor, linebacker, Colorado. We talked about this on the previous uh, Kiss and Solak show. We recapped uh, all three of those picks. So I also did a solo episode detailing the fourth round picks, which was Kavon Wallace. Is it Kavon or Kavon? Kavon. Kavon. I've been saying it wrong the entire time. Kavon yeah, Wallace. I considered doing a tweet about it, but then I was like, it's too early to be obnoxious about pronunciation. They all just met him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Kavon Wallace. Kavon Wallace, safety, Clemson slash nickel. We'll talk about that. Uh, also in the fourth round, Jack Driscoll, the offensive uh, lineman from Auburn, who might play some guard, might play some tackle. Uh, fifth round number 168 john hightower wide receiver boise state i had done a piece talking about five burners and hightower was in there as a guy that the eagles could target so they go with the speed there again in the sixth round there's three picks sean bradley linebacker temple quez Watkins, a wide receiver southern miss also in that burner piece and then at 210 there's prince tega winogo nailed it, it offensive tackle from auburn and then in the seventh round, final pick, 233, Casey Tuhill, the defensive end out of Stanford. So the consensus from the hall here from fans is that this is anywhere from a B to a C class. That's where the poll results on Bleeding Green Nation show. That's the majority of the media members range. I think that's the proper ball, ballpark. Uh, you certainly felt better about the hall as the Eagles distanced themselves from a head-scratching day two. Wallace, Driscoll, Hightower. All made a ton of sense. I especially love Wallace. I hadn't watched Sean Bradley yet, the linebacker from Temple, but I had a person from within the Temple program. I've known him for years. He knows my type of linebackers Calm that I down. like. He texted me we and he said, get it. You know other people. You have friends. Okay, whatever. He texted me. He said that I would love Sean Bradley. Quez Watkins adds even more sp uh, speed along with the six-round pick swap that also netted Marquise Goodwin from the 49ers. We're going to talk more in depth about the wide receivers later, but uh, as far as the last pick, I had no idea who Casey Tuhill is. He tested well. And Ben, check this out. I know somebody with the Stanford program because I have friends and only your mother loves you, which is all you got. So he told me that he's probably just a practice squad candidate, which for a seventh-round pick, that makes mm -hmm. sense. You want to know why they drafted Two Hill? I know exactly why they drafted Two Hill. Why? Connor Barwin likes him. Oh, Connor Barwin. There you yeah. go. Oh. So when I was stalking Connor Barwin at the Shrine Bowl, <laughs> you know, we rewind the uh, the timeline here. I remember, and we remember this. me following Connor Barwin around trying Everywhere. to get a picture of him. He was there with Andy Weidel. Uh, no, no, he was there with Tim Ward. Andy Weidel was there, obviously, but he was working with Tim Ward, who's one of the Eagles scouts, who's an ex defensive line coach. Um, and Barwin was looking at the edge rushers. And I remember him watching Two Hill and talking about Two Hill. And I was like, I should tweet this out. And then I was like, I've probably tweeted out too many Connor Barwin things. I haven't said <laughs> at this point in my uh, in the last weekend or so. Uh, so I did not. But he liked Two Hill. Wouldn't be surprised if that was like a, he stands on the table for him and they pick him for that or whatever. I watched Two Hill's film and he's like is a seventh rounder, but he's fun because he's very Joe Osmany. Yeah. I can't remember Joe Osman's last name because he's rush linebacker. Can drop if you need him to. Probably dropped more at Stanford than he'll drop for Philadelphia. Mm. I don't know if you watched Peter Kalambay out of Stanford a couple of years ago. Yeah. Is that sort of a vibe? You oh, know that what makes I mean, sense. like, yeah, like he's he's just a fine rusher. Like it's nothing special. If he sticks, it'll be for special team stuff. Yeah. But he's not bad getting after the passer. Not bad working the outside track, getting the quarterback to step up in the pocket, and then he's versatile. He can drop. 
So no, I, I, when they picked him, I was like, I know this name. Like, I know this dude. So I was, I was pleased with that. So all that said, I think when you look at the class overall, and then we'll start to start to dial in on some things, the question of Rager versus Lamb versus Jefferson is always going to be there. And we probably won't get solid answers on that for a bit. And also the question of if you'd rather have Lamb than Rager and Hertz, that will always loom. So the high picks have questions or are just flat out mind numbing. Like I, you, I think both of us like Rager, so that's not the issue. But there are other questions, and who knows? Maybe the Hertz pick turns out to be incredible foresight, and we're just idiots. But it's hard to justify it right now with the mm-hmm. scheme the Eagles have and the money being spent at quarterback already. And for that reason, I'll go with a meaningless but emphatic C grade. Ben, what about you? Yeah, well, I think like you know, meaningless but emphatic, right? I think it is important. Like, whether or not you want to grade things, like, this is a C. You know, like, right. it's hard to, like, like say exactly what, like, a C means when it comes to uh, the nuances of a draft class. And, like, are you considering the Marquis Goodwin trade? Are you considering the Darius Slay trade? Right. You know, move backs and everything like that. So, like, you know, one letter, difficult. It's very important, though, to talk about whether or not this was a good draft within the context of what we know about the players now. Because the thing is, like, these players are going to be either a lot better or a lot worse than we think they are. And we can't judge a class by how good the players turn out you have to judge the class based off the information that you have when the picks were made right, right because right. good process is going to yield more positive results over time than just the positive feedback of one group right of, of one happenstance of one mm-hmm. uh individual class so with that said this wasn't a good draft i like the jalen rager pick uh at 21 he was appropriate value for me jalen hurts was a ridiculous pick that is inexcusable even if jalen hurts turns out good it 53 overall is not the time for you to be drafting quarterback of the future quarterback to development quarterback don't care what you call him mm-hmm. uh davian taylor a big time reach yep. uh and then you have enough picks on day three to move around and acquire overall came wallace john hightower sean bradley quez watkins prince to casey two hill and marquis goodwin and that's great but it is too little too late if you're mm-hmm. lucky you're getting two contributors out of this group right Right. right, and that's the thing is like a good day three feels great, especially after what was freaking you know day two for the Eagles. And you know how I feel about day three. That can only shape my opinion so much of it. You know, I remember saying uh, to Mayor when like the day was over, I was like, I'm so mad at them for making me like their day three class, right? Because <laughs> yeah. like I I don't want to be happy with them right now. I don't want to be it. pleased. Yeah, like I think like day three was great like i love the process i love the trading back and i love the drafting multiple uh players of the exact same mold in yep. watkins and goodwin and, and hightower and saying one of you is going to turn out good let's you know don't really matter who but like one of you is going to stick and yep. we're just going to increase our chances of getting one of you to stick i like that that's great it's just the difficult aspect of it for me is it's a little too little too late like if we talk about year one impact for this class rager hopefully gets wide receiver two amount of targets like right. you know what i mean yeah. like and like yeah it's like you know that'd be a success 65 yeah 70 right um Kayvon wallace plays in sub packages mm. kind of boss is fifth defensive back on the field uh and that that might already even be a little bit much uh of an expectation given how many slots the eagles have i i do like the fact that like with Kayvon, i think he's more of a nickel you don't need him to start this year with nickel roby coman heel but nickel nickel roby coman's only on a one-year deal I think it's. I think we'll see if this pick of Wallace is a success if he can take over that nickel spot in like year two. I think that'd be a big win. I here's my tricky thing with Kayvon. He right now projects into exactly the same role for me as the role that they kind of want to just throw Jalen Mills into, <laughs> right? Yeah. With no like idea of what's happening, 
And while I understand that Corey Unlin is gone, Jim Schwartz is still here. And if Kayvon Wallace is competing with Jalen Mills for any role, Jalen Mills <laughs> is going to win. Because as we've seen to this point in his career, it doesn't matter if he's better or worse than the alternatives. Jalen right. Mills ends up with the starting job. 100% of the time. Yeah. It's tricky to figure out exactly how the Eagles' safety room is going to go. I, Kayvon is not currently capable of taking the Malcolm Jenkins role. Correct. Which, like, is a fourth-round pick. Uh, so, you know... It, there's about two safeties who I thought were capable of doing it. I'm on the record as saying for a Malcolm Jenkins understudy, Kayvon's one of those dudes that I wanted. I said it was Chin, Duggar, and then Kayvon. Mm. Um, that was before the Eagles let Jenkins go in free agency. And all of a sudden, you don't have the guy to teach the guy. You need the guy to win on his feet. And it's just the the, the level of processing and instincts that you need to have for that is, is really tricky. There's a larger talking yeah. point that we can talk about later on when it comes to defensive back, backs coach Mark Manuel. But outside of that, like, how are you feeling? We'll, we'll dial back in on like the grade. Did you give a grade? I don't think you gave a grade. Are you? A I mean, like, I'm gonna like say like this. Max is out. Max is out as a C for me. It's probably okay. lower. Okay. I, you know, you can't be out here wasting pick fifty three and then expect to get a good grade from me. I don't care what you did on day three. I do. I think it was awesome, but I don't. So I mean, I looked at uh, PFF's grades and uh, they gave the class an A minus. They were one of the higher ones on it, and that's because like us, they love Kevon Wallace and Mike Renner. Friend of the show and all around handsome fellow said that he dug the Hurts pick. So there are people out there that do like the pick, and I think that like, round two, that Hurts pick is the ter- the determining factor in your grade. But Ben, you want to kick back on that and uh, and at Mike Renner via audio form, right? No, I mean like I love Mike, <laughs> good dude. I just like the Hurts pick is theoretically good, and just in practice, it isn't. It just isn't. I like you know I. I I can't tell you. Like we don't know. We don't know what this mystery offense designed around Hertz looks like anyway. Because it ain't the Philadelphia Eagles offense. That doesn't right. fit Hertz. I will about face on the Hertz pick immediately. In the <laughs> event that there is a way to get him on the field consistently on offense in a right. reliable and predictable two quarterback offense, which does not exist at the NFL level. So, <laughs> like you know, like if, if if listen, but it's like I said. I, I think I, I tweeted this out because people on early on day three were like talking about the two QB thing, and I was like, listen. If I had a grand plan for a two-quarterback offense, I also would not be telling anybody, including my own media, right? <laughs> I would also take a whole summer's worth of complete fire from the media yep. if it meant I could roll out in week one, Hurts and Wentz both in the backfield at the same time, and nobody was ready for it. Right. Yes. So if and when, then absolutely. I'll be like, this is the greatest pick of all time. I'll love it. It'll be great. And like, I feel very comfortable changing my saying what oh, I said yeah. and then changing my idea on it because this obviously changes the game. In the event that it's exactly what the Eagles are, sh- you know, shucking it as, selling it as, we just think that the quarterback position is so valuable that we're going to make other positions worse in order to make it better. No. When we come back on the Kiss and Solak show, we're going to talk about the work cut out for some of the positional coaches and these rookies and guys that have been brought in. That's coming up next here on the Kiss and Solak show. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. 
And we are back here on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 182, Bleeding Green Nation, SB Nation, bringing it to you. Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. Ben, I said we were talking about some of the work cut out for these coaches. Like in terms of how this group of wide receivers that they've brought in that we've been talking about, how they can be successful, just looking at it overall, there's an interesting angle here that I tweeted out last night, but I haven't really seen much discussion about. The big storyline, obviously, is speed. That's what people want to talk about. And they're not wrong to highlight that factor, of course. You went from a Mm -hmm. slow plotting offense to what now has several insurance policies in place after a throw it out the wall and see what sticks mentality during the draft process. I don't have to tell you Deshaun Jackson, Jalen Rager, Marquise Goodwin, John Hightower, and Quez Watkins are fast. We all get that. But here's the rub. Eagles wide receiver coach Aaron Moorhead is the sixth wide receivers coach for the Eagles since 2015. That's been well documented. Defense against the dark arts. (laughs) <laughs> the only one of those other five that you could say was actually good at his job was Mike Rowe. And I remember talking with Jimmy Kemsky about Rowe's approach to coaching the position in his first training camp, and he was very impressed. And, you know, as we know, he got the best season out of Aguilar. Alshon comes in. That that works out well in the end. He comes on, so on and so forth. He was promoted out of that position, and the carousel continues. What Moorhead is tasked with, it's difficult, considering the circumstances. Now, first, what does he have to do? First, I think you take Hightower and Quez Watkins and you put them in one bucket. If he can get one of those two six-rounders to a point where they're legitimately rosterable, that's a win. It's a six-round pick. Yeah, they're fast. But hitting 50% on a player that's capable of contributing in the sixth round is a lot harder than it sounds. So that's one. The second is getting Jalen Rager up to speed with the offense. Rager has plenty of talent. That's not the question. But he also wasn't asked to do a whole lot within the TCU offense, which is not his fault. It's theirs. It's TCU's fault. Because when given the chance, Rager showed that he could snap people off and make guys miss in space with the ball in his hands. Now, think about this. He only had nine screens come his way in 2019. It's less than 10. In a world of college football offense, that is criminal for a guy of his talents. Put that in contrast, Brandon Ayuk, 25 screens. Brian Edwards from South Carolina, 36 of them. Doggone Devin Duvernay of Texas had 42 screens thrown his way. 42. (laughs) Come on. And Rager can only get nine? That tells me right there you don't know how to use them, especially when your quarterback is so horrendous that Rager has one of the highest uncatchable target rates in the nation. So they put him out there at X receiver 85% of the time, where his quarterback can't reach him 100% of the time. They don't feed him manufactured touches. All the things that the Eagles have been desperately searching for from a run-after-catch guy, they tried it with Nelson Aguilar in 2018. That didn't work. They traded for Golden Tate because that was his calling card. They got mixed results there, and he's gone anyway. They'll be able to do it with Rager, but dialing back to the point, Aaron Moorhead has got to get Rager ready with a route tree, with convertible routes on a level that he just never experienced with at TCU. Rager has got to be coached up on, hey, this is a post against middle of the field open. This is a corner against middle of the field closed. They may roll post snap, but here's what you do in that case. And you also XYZ that can change your landmark, blah, 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 blah. He's got to get him all that coached up, right? He didn't do any of that last year at TCU. So that's number two. Number three, work with the existing wide receivers that, that, that are there. Guys like Deshaun, who you don't have to worry about, but guys like Greg Ward, right? Ward has had issues getting on the same page with Wentz and understanding his landmarks for for the better part of the season. There's still more work to be done there. He got better at it. Plus, you've got the addition of Marquise Goodwin. You've got to get him you know, acclimated into the system. And number four, you have to help J.J. Ortega-Whiteside take a step. Now, how he can make the excuse, and I can make the excuse because I like the pick at the time. So did you, Ben. I'm not hiding from that. 
But you can say Jay Jaw had a lower body injury and it's tough for a rookie wide receiver to contribute. And he was always a two to three year projection, blah, 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 blah. Throw that all out. Doesn't matter. He's got to prove it this year because otherwise he is just taking up a roster spot and I'm not going to get trapped in some sunken cost fallacy over what could be a bad evaluation at a high capital draft pick. So Aaron Moorhead has to get him up to speed. So that's four big factors. Getting value out of late round rookies, getting your first round pick up to speed, working with the vets to get the most out of them, and getting Jay Jaw to evolve. If Aaron Moorhead can accomplish a good portion of that, you are no longer worried about the wide receiver position because that's a hefty task that's going to get a lot of positive results, my friend. And he's going to have to do it in unprecedented circumstances where at least for now, it's going to be done virtually. I mean, here's where we're at right now. Do we know that there is a rookie minicamp? We don't know. Is there a full or even abbreviated training camp? We have no idea. What does preseason look like, right? So you have all these factors that Moorhead has to nail in his first year and all of these factors working against him in the worst possible conditions for it. So do I have my doubts? Yes. Is it possible he could pull this off to some degree? For sure. Am I going to continue to ask myself questions and then answer them on my own? Who can say? But there is a lot riding on this. For the offense to succeed and reach the levels we think it can fully fully utilize all that speed that they brought in, not only do they need injury luck when guys weren't able to train the way that they're used to, but they need a first-year wide receiver coach to prove that he's got the juice. So to wrap all this up, there's a self-awareness in this strategy of throw it all at the wall that I love. It's a team that is on the third cycle of weapons for Wentz saying, we can't just take one extra swing at wide receiver. We need to take all of the swings. That's good because that self-awareness was lacking with the Hertz pick, in my opinion. And that was our big gripe. So that gives me hope. But for all of it to click, you need certain things to happen. And a lot of it is on Moorhead's shoulders. Ben, any follow-up thoughts with that? Right. Well, I think that the, the whole like the kicker being that there may not even be camp this year is a pretty big deal because... Well, it's like rolling it all the way back to Jay Jaw last year and the theory behind, oh, like, you know, he's got to learn multiple positions and, and he's got to be able to play multiple spots and he's got to learn across the receiver room. You might not you just might not be able to do that this year. Like right. that is a worthy approach. And I believe that, like, I, I can't say it's the correct approach because I think that you can achieve things multiple ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also have never coached a wide receiver in my life, so I should shut up. But, like, it, I think it's a worthy approach. I think it, like, makes yeah. sense in terms of, like, how you want to develop a guy. For a rookie to see the field, if he's not a starter, you kind of have to do that. You have to have him ready for those different, you know, things. Right. Yeah, which, like, it, it, you know, it, it's tough. Like, we always talk about receiver rooms as basketball teams, right? And, like, the thing about good basketball teams is you have a three who can play the four, and you have a four who can play the five, and you have a two who can play the one or the three, and, like, so on and so forth. So, you might not be able to do that this year flat out just as a result of the limitations of, of Corona. Which means that now, you know, and, and like other general managers had quotes where they were like, we really tried to focus on pro-ready players this year because of Corona. And I don't think I've seen a, a Roseman quote to that effect. Maybe I've missed it completely. Um, but what what you have to understand that you have with Rager, and I hesitate to say like anti-Tower and Watkins just because they're day three picks and yeah, I'm not sure that, that, that they're going to get that playing time early. But what you have to understand that you have with Rager is like, you have to use him as a field stretcher first because that's how he was used in TCU. And it's might it's not going to be his best deployment in year one, but like that's just where he's going to be familiar enough in terms of what he's going to do in his route distribution, getting down the field and separating, just generally uncovering. That that's kind of the role you have to play him in early, uh, which I think is is tricky, um, especially because if you have a healthy Deshaun, then you've got two guys you want to be sending vertical. But honestly, like 
It's kind of what the Eagles offense needs. They need outside guys who can go vertical, and then they win with the tight ends on the inside. I have no idea how JJ fits into this picture. <laughs> right, yeah, that's the truth. I'll tell you, and like that's large part because he didn't fit into any picture last year either. They didn't put him on the field. You know, <laughs> so we don't really know what he, know what he can do, um, especially if you walk into week one with Alshon still on the roster. Because right. like, with everything that's gone with Alshon, you're still going to play him. As yeah. I have held and will continue to hold, Alshon's still a good football player. Uh, the thing about being huge and having great hands is that you don't need to be able to separate to be huge and have great hands. Right. Yeah. You know, so, so like even with diminishing athleticism, he still has a role. He still has value. He's definitely, if he's on the field, JJ is not. Um, so you may be out here playing your rookie and benching your sophomore, but it's kind of the hole you dug yourself into uh, in terms of, of the pick that you made and then the need that you created for yourself in terms of getting speed on the field. I think if you, if you talk about what the wide receiver one depth chart looks like, the wide receiver depth chart looks like in week one, I should say. We know Deshaun's starting. I would say Rager is confirmed starting. And then it's Alshon slash J-Jaw. Like, I don't know. Uh, but I would imagine J-Jaw would be the player that they would have as the X in the event that Alshon was traded. Um, Rager and, and Deshaun are going to switch Z and slot for you. And that's your starting three. Hightower and Watkins, like I said, I just don't know how you take those players and you get them ready for NFL usage. I mean, like Hightower, you can get him running a vertical third tree because he did it enough at Boise. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to claim to have watched enough of Watkins to know exactly what his route capacity is, but I know for a fact that he doesn't play through contact well. Uh, and so I have you, no you idea. Said, you said before the show, do you want to say it on the show who he reminded Shelton you of? Gibson. Yeah, Shelton Gibson. Shelton he reminded Gibson. me of the same guy. And yep. he's just like, you know, if you hit him, he's out. You got to be able to track the ball better down the field as well. Right now, he's all speed. So, like, you can hand Watkins, you can put the ball in Watkins' chest, jet sweep screen if you want to, and that's how you get him on the field. But besides that, I don't know. So, it's very tricky. Like, the Eagles wide receiver room already has unbelievable uncertainty because we don't know where they're going to play Deshaun. We've never seen Deshaun in Philadelphia, at least in 2.0, Deshaun in Philadelphia. We haven't seen JJ think of white side on the field know enough, enough to know where they're going to play him. We don't even know if Alshon's going to be here or not. And then we have three rookies and Marquise Goodwin. So it's like, there's literally nothing in terms of, of knowledge to work off of to figure out where these guys are going to be. So it's beyond Muirhead not just getting these guys coached up, but also on the co- rest of the coaching staff, the offensive minds to figure out how exactly they're going to deploy these guys and get the best results is what you're saying. Yes. And it's like, I'll put it this way. <laughs> Do not expect the Eagles passing offense to be better in week one. You're right. Week nine. Hopefully. Yeah. Week one. No. Unless Deshaun's healthy and Alshon's back, in which case right, the passing right. should be better because they'll have veteran players who know what they're doing. And I guess in the case of Alshon, at least he's played with Carson before, though we don't know if he likes doing that. <laughs> uh, and Deshaun hasn't really, but at least he's been around long enough that it should be okay. You know, it's a very weird wide receiver room, Mike. Don't they have the same thing kind of going on with what they're trying to cobble together in the defensive backfield and the job? No, that- because they didn't bring in any rookies, Mike. No, I mean, they brought in Kayvon. <laughs> um, well, here's the thing with the defensive backfield and particularly corner. Darius Slay plays outside corner. All right. The rest of the Eagles depth chart at corner is Sidney Jones, Rasul Douglas, Avante Maddox, Craven LeBlanc, freaking Tremont Williams. Oh, yeah. You know, like it's like, or, or Trevor Williams, excuse me. You know, and like Jalen Mills, maybe question mark. No one really knows. Okay. And Nicole Roby Coleman at safety. You have maybe Jalen Mills, Ronnie McLeod, and then Kayvon Wallace, Will Parks. You have about six players, no embellishment, that ideally play over the nickel and not the outside. 
between your corner room and your safety room hmm. and Jalen Mills, which again, who knows? And then you have one, one, one player who you want over the outside, which is right. Darius Slay. I would argue you have a second in terms of a player you would rather be on the outside than the slot, who is Russell Douglas. Russell, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. The Corey Undlin Eagles never wanted to play Russell Douglas. Didn't matter if Russell was playing well or poorly. They wanted to play him. Large part because he was not well cast for playing eight yards off the ball. You know, it go back to week one. Russell Douglas is eight yards off Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin stems directly to him. Russell Douglas flips his hips, and now it's a race between Terry McLaurin and Russell Douglas. And no point does Russell Douglas get his hands on him, and Terry McLaurin just toasts him for a deep post. Touchdown. Mm. It's not Russell's game. Marco Manuel was a defensive backs coach with Dan Quinn, uh, was a defensive backs coach in Seattle during the Seattle Cover 3 era, which is an era that used defensive backs who looked exactly like Russell Douglas up at the line of scrimmage, kick step, press Cover 3, Disrupt at the line, carry them into a vertical third. Yeah, Eagles are trying to trade with Will Douglas apparently. <laughs> well, I mean, like, so it like the coaching staff addition seems to indicate they'd be more comfortable starting with Will on the outside up at the line of scrimmage. The front office moves seem to indicate they want to trade him away. So again, who knows what the situation there is with Rasul? Much like JJ couldn't tell you how they want to use him, couldn't tell you whether or not he has a shot of being used. Right. Given what we've currently got from the roster and what we've currently got from uh, the front office. The moral of the story here is that there's no way Darius Slay is not traveling with ones this year. Right. <laughs> right. Because that's something that they haven't done previously. Yeah. Under Schwartz. Which is going to be fascinating to see. But yeah. Right. If Slay does not travel with ones. I'll lose my mind. Well, there's, there's, there's no way you cover anybody. I mean, that's not true. You'll cover the wide receiver too because Darius Slay will be on him. Why does your ones go on the other side? But like, kind of like do it like if you think about it last year when the Packers with Devontae Adams was torching whoever the Eagles put out mm-hmm. there. And you're going to tell me that Slay wouldn't travel with Adams. I'd say you're right. an effing idiot. And here's the problem is that like I love Darius Slay. I like the Darius Slay trade. I think Slay's a good corner. Yeah. Slay's film against Adams across the course of their careers is not the best film on the face of the planet. Yeah. Adams gets him a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Just things like you're firstly, you can ask him to travel with ones. Secondly, he's going to lose to ones occasionally. Thirdly, let's say he travels with Julio and locks him down. Calvin, Calvin Ridley against Sydney. Oh, his his film is a lot better against Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, who is covering him. Is it Avanti Maddox? This is yeah. my thing, right? Is this just like, why don't we have another corner? I don't get it. And Christian Fulton was <laughs> like, there at 53. That would, that's, what, that's what pisses so, me off so much. Even beyond, even beyond just not picking Fulton. Just right. Beyond that, but go ahead. So if you ask me, the best way that this problem gets solved is if Marquand Manuel puts the Eagles in step kick, Seattle cover three, and Rasul Douglas is able to play on the outside. That's the avenue I see to having two outside starting corners who can live, right? I, I think Rasul will lose battles. I think he'll win battles. I don't think Sewell is going to be a high-end NFL corner two. But that's right now, like if you ask me of all the routes to get a outside corner two on the roster as it currently stands, I would say, well, you know, three days ago, I would have told you draft one. But because we didn't, today it would be put Rasul off the line, step kick cover three and go, right? My Here's my solution. Sorry to interrupt. Sign Prince of Mukamara. And then I'm like, I'm totally fine with it. Is he still on the roster? Or still he's, the he's, he's, he's still out there. Okay. Like, what, would you prefer Prince of Mukamara over the options they have right now at outside corner? He's been a part of some very, very good I mean, pass like, defenses, and yeah. he doesn't, you know? Mm-hmm. 
he's older, but like at this point, who cares? Anyway, that's my that's my solution. But it's it's not in the building right now, so you know. Yeah. I just don't like I like you know. (laughs) He's better than Rasul. I like the Sean Bradley pick. I like the Casey Tuhill pick. I didn't like the Davian Taylor pick for how early it was, whatever. Same. I just like, you know, like, all right, you got three linebacker, special teamer, maybe edge rusher bodies. It's great news. Why does this team not want any good secondary players? I just don't know. Like they drafted Sydney and Sewell in 2017 hmm. in two and three. And you were like investing in the defensive backfield. And since then, it's been Maddox in the fourth round and Kayvon in the fourth round. And we've been screaming for safety for a while now. And it's, they've lost more than they've gained in that in that department right. for sure. It's like, all right, you, you bring in a fourth rounder once Malcolm leaves. <laughs> yeah, they did do it the year before. Right. It's, and it's that fourth round would be a lot more ready. Look, I, I and I and I and I've said like the whole like Jordan Love Aaron Rodgers thing. Like Aaron Rodgers ain't teaching Jordan Love Jack, but like I think at certain places and certain players, Malcolm Jenkins Jenkins will teach the young guys something. Jason Peters will will try to teach the young guys something. I think that's that's perfectly applicable in this situation. And the Eagles are just like, no, we'll, we'll wait till Malcolm's gone and bring in a totally fresh year, wet behind the ears, no training camp rookie. It's just it's like I, I think to myself this. It's amazing to me that in if you had told me in 2018 mm. that in 2020 I would be st- talking about who's starting an outside corner for the Eagles, Cindy Jones or Russell Douglas, I'd be like, "You're kidding! There's no <laughs> way that this is still a conversation we're having." Ben, any any uh, last words before we get out of here? What do you th- what do you think of the uh, look at- wait? You don't want to talk UDFA's? Oh God, I guess embarrassing. Oh. Yeah, who who are the UDFA's? Listen. <laughs> they, there's a there's a a treasured and harbored eagles tradition mm-hmm. which is every year in the udfa cycle grabbing some running back who's right. built like an absolute tank yeah. right like cory clement last year who do they have last year oh frick is it adrian killens this year is that no killens is killens is like thick michael, but he's oh, tiny i, ju- yeah, I just michael i just warren. saw michael warren <laughs> just every year all right, Eagles 2019 draft class. This is so. I mean, I guess like Elijah Holyfield, but they they got him. Michael Warren team. is basically a, Elijah Holyfield when it comes. No, to he's not. Like, he's better. What you're looking for? Yeah. Nico Evans was last year. The, yeah. the, he was the Wyoming kid. He was like 220. And then right. So then this year it's uh it's Michael Warren. Eagles fans are gonna love Michael Warren. I almost put him in my uh my my day three guys the Eagles could target for for running back because he's like that. How big how big is he? Is he like two thirty? He is five ten two twenty something. Five ten two twenty plus. Wow. He is a <laughs> chonk a chonk a chonk chonk chonk. Thick as grits. Yes, he's a healthy young man. He is a well fed individual. <laughs> he uh no I I I always would jokingly say if you'd miss out on Zach Moss in the second, just come draft. Michael Warren in the seventh because he's just like it's just like a bowling ball, right? It's right, like right, right. tackling him just requires like a lever. You know, you gotta like find some way to like some sort of machinery to get him down. Uh, he has no juice at all. No, uh, and just no. ground out AAC defenses for Cincinnati last year. It was a ton of fun. So who who stands out on this list? Because I don't, I honestly don't know who any of these other guys are. So Warren is fun. Dante Olson, right? So if we're talking about the Eagles drafting players because of their measurables. Everybody likes to talk about the 40 that they've been drafting for, but actually they've also been drafting extremely good jumpers. So like Rager, 97th and 98th percentile. This is Burton Broad. 
Hertz 86 and 97, Davian Taylor 64 and 94, Kayvon 81 and 96, Hightower 84 and 61, Bradley 64 76, Quez 64 78, Two Hill 91 and 92. So drafting upper percentile verts and explosive really really good broad jumpers Dante Olsen a 98th percentile vert (laughs) and an 88th percentile broad now this is what I call a Tecmo Bowl player Dante Olsen plays on straight lines he don't play on corners and he doesn't turn this is just he is huge Montana played a big sky conference middle of that defense 200 tackles or something this season right like 156 or whatever the heck it was he's just humongous and fast and doesn't turn so just all right plays going left full steam ahead to the left just mowing over kids really fun to watch really not great at football um but he's super explosive he's the one who i would say like if anybody sticks it's probably him because the athletic ability is really exciting and like i say he's a big dude i like elijah riley's film is a corner out of army he's a nickel uh his shrine bowl was bad a lot worse than i thought it was gonna be Noah Tongiai at uh, Oregon State's a tight end. Um, he's in your Josh Perkins mold. He's like 240. You know, he's a wide receiver. He's a big wide receiver. Um, so he'll be fighting Perkins for that job. The Eagles have brought in good drafted tight ends to try to beat out Perkins, though, and nobody really ever has. Raycon Williams was much better in 2018 than he was in 2019. This is the uh, defensive tackle out of Michigan State. He's got to learn how to use his hands. Like, he has really nice flashes, but he just lets his body get into contact way too much. So you got to teach him how to play with more patience and timing. Then Graylin Arnold is exciting. Uh, he's the one, him and, and then I'm, I'm learning more about Michael ja- ja- Jaquette. Jaquette. <laughs> Michael Jaquette. Uh, he's a Louisiana Lafayette kid. Uh, I, I don't know much about him. Um, but Graylin Arnold is an exciting and an interesting one. Not a good tackler. He's been banged up for Baylor. When he's healthy, he's a safety who can rotate down into the slot, and then he can return as well. He's got good athleticism. He's the sort of dude who, like, he'll be a really good special teamer, and he'll fight for a roster spot that way. Apparently, they gave Braylon Arnold uh, 90000 guaranteed. So. Yeah, they gave Tungy yeah, 100000 The Eagles always, when it comes yeah. to UDFAs, are just like, hey, just how much do you want a lot of money? Right. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So I mean that's how you attract him. That's how you yeah, that's how you get the best UDFAs in the world. So we're a UDFA factory. Ben. All right. That's enough. Right there. Say that's goodbye. too much. That was notes <laughs> on five UDFAs. How dare you? <laughs> get the heck out of here. Say goodbye to the gentle listeners. Hey, thank you as always for listening to the Kiss and Solak Show on BGN Radio. As we promised you, a full and ripe and pleasant draft week to get you through quarantine season and into the next part of quarantine season. Um, but no, this was live sports. Thank you for joining us. The Eagles with nine draft picks on the week. Jalen Rager, Jalen Hurts, Davian Taylor, Kevin Walsh, Sean Hightower, Sean Bradley, Quez Watkins, Prince Tegwanogo, and Casey Tuhill. Hey, by the way, we didn't talk about him. We're not done. I'm undoning this podcast. Oh, goodness. Prince Tega's got good film and good athleticism. He's like not him. healthy. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the knee freaks teams out. Um, he was unable to do pro day stuff and unable to do combine stuff and everything like that. In the event that he has even a five-year career with Philadelphia, it will be on the roster. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. he's, no, he's going to hang. I think yeah, ideally... His film was way higher than where he got selected. Yeah. yeah. And this is a kid who he he came over uh, as a result of, of one of the programs that helps bring over kids who are in Africa to the United States to play organized high school ball. Um, he came over to play basketball. He started playing football to stay in shape for <laughs> basketball season. And then... All of a sudden, he was like, yo, like I'm a really good tight end. Uh, I think he was. And then he started playing offensive line in his senior year. Uh, Auburn, ridiculous athlete. He's like th- he's like 310, I want to say. And he looks like he's like 240. You know what I mean? He just like, carries it so well. Um, he's awesome. 
was my best player available for ages. So glad they drafted him. If he's healthy, he's off to tackle three on this oh. death chart. And then my lot is four. I think, uh, what's his name? Driscoll. Kick him Driscoll. Aside. Oh, I don't even have Driscoll written down on this list. The Eagles had 10 draft picks. Uh, and I, <laughs> when I went through all the athletes and I only have nine, Driscoll is, uh, to me, he's a guard center yeah, in, for the Eagles. If you were on another team, maybe he's a tackle, but the Eagles want bigger dudes to tackle. So I think he's a guard center. So the Eagles are reloading here at offensive line. But anyway, thanks for listening. <laughs> the kiss. We all we got. Oh, bye. We do reveal. We do the thing. Love you guys. Yeah. You no words. We all Good we call. got. We all we need. Fly Eagles, fly. The Current Podcast is back with an exciting new season featuring marketing executives from the world's most influential brands. Tune in to hear what's driving conversation in the fast-moving world of digital advertising with unique insights from brands as diverse as Hilton, Instacart, Moderna, Major League Soccer, and more. And in this presidential election season, The Current explores what a national political advertiser like the National Republican Senatorial Committee and a major CPG brand like Hershey can learn from each other. Listen in and subscribe to The Current at thecurrent.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Vanta. Dealing with loads of spreadsheets, juggling different tools, and having to do manual security checks, it can be a headache to keep up with today's compliance and security programs. Vanta is the trust management platform that wants to simplify things and bring all your trust-building efforts under one roof, making growth smoother for your whole organization. Vanta lets you automate up to 90% of compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Strengthen security posture and reduce third-party risk. Get $1,000 off Vanta when you go to vanta.com slash vox. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash vox for $1,000 off Vanta.